Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to read from the first verse. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Well, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Last time we were looking at this, we were looking at the first uh, few verses there of chapter 2 that we've just read. Looking at the, the danger of having high standards for others while being very understanding of oneself. Seeing other people's need, other people's uh, sins even, and yet being amazingly forgiving about ourselves uh, as if it doesn't matter for us. And uh, that is the issue that Paul is raising there because in chapter 1 he's been talking about what the world is like. The world without God, a world that has chosen not to acknowledge God. He's outlined the kind of things that happen and he assumes that people uh, are listening and thinking, yeah, Paul... Uh, You've got it right. This is just how it is. It's terrible, isn't it? What the world is like. And then Paul rounds on them and says, well, if you think that's terrible, and yet you do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? And he goes on to say, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? And that's, uh, verse 4 is what I want us to be looking at this morning. It's, It's a startling thing that Paul says there. Do you show contempt... He's talking here to Christians, of course, chapter 1, verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? What's this about then? What's he addressing here? Well, let's look first of all at what he says about God's kindness, tolerance, And patience, he speaks about the riches, or it could be translated the wealth of his kindness or goodness. The wealth of his forbearance, his tolerance, putting up with offenses, and his patience. His kindness, tolerance, and patience isn't shown kind of stintingly, sporadically, He says the wealth of it, God's abundance, the plentiful way in which God shows grace. Paul was referring earlier to the abundance of water coming out of the rock. God doesn't do things stintingly. And here Paul speaks of the wealth of God's kindness. Of course, Paul himself knows about that because if ever anyone deserved to be punished, deserved harsh discipline it was Paul and yet God had had mercy on him and writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13 he says even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man I was shown mercy 
because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace poured out abundantly. So that's what Paul is referring to here, the wealth of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience. And of course, he's talking, among others, to people who grew up as Jews. They've now encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, put their faith in him. They have been converted, but their background was in Israel. Their background was, therefore, in Jewishness. And as a nation, they had grown up knowing God's kindness, tolerance, and patience. That was their history. As far back as they, as they know, there's a history of mercy. God had chosen Abraham. God had called him out. And with, before Abraham had done anything or believed anything, God saves him, as it were, chooses him and says, I'm going to bless you. And all people are going to be blessed through you. The mercy of God. And then as the story goes on, the, the family uh, who were there in Egypt, and God rescues them. God delivers them out of bondage. Sheer mercy. And then, wandering through the wilderness, time and again, they groan, they mumble, they, dis- they, they don't believe, they, they don't believe that God really loves them, and God continually patient with them, carrying them, forbearance, all the way through. God brings them to their own land, and God uh, says, it's all yours. Do they believe him? No. Do they take it all? No. And yet God still blesses them. And so they've got a history of mercy, a history of God's tolerance. They go into exile because they deserve to go into exile. But God restores them. God brings them back to their own land. And then, in spite of all that they've done, the incredible grace of God, he gives them the Messiah. The Messiah comes. And what do they do? They kill him. And what does God do? He pours out his spirit in the very city where they've killed his son and 3,000 people saved in a day. They've got a history of the sheer abundance, the wealth of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience. So that's their history. And of course, it's our history as well. The The church exists today. We are here today because of God's kindness, God's tolerance, God's patience. If if you've known God as your heavenly father, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you know him, you've got a story of how patient God has been. You've got a, a story of his sheer tolerance forbearance, or am I the only one? Oh, God, how how stupid I've been, how perverse I've been, and yet I can look back and say, God has been so patient, incredibly forbearing. This is God, the riches, the wealth of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. This is our history in Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. There Paul says, If by the trespass of one man, that is Adam, 
death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Abundant provision of grace. God doesn't do it stintingly. God doesn't say, well, I'll show a little mercy. The wealth of his mercy. And, of course, Scripture is full of it. That's the reason we're here this morning. That's the reason for our worship, Sunday by Sunday, day by day. Why are we worshiping God? Why do we praise him? Well, because of his wonderful mercy, his wonderful uh, kindness, forbearance, his uh, just sheer patience with us. That's our experience, the riches of grace. That is God, that's what he's like. But Paul says, do you show contempt for all of that? How could that be? Contempt is a strong word, but that is the right word. One of the other versions that is popular among some, for some reason, weakens it inaccurately. I enjoyed that. Anyway, it is a strong word. It's talking about God's contempt. And then it expounds what that contempt is like. It says, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. That's a difficult thing to to translate because the, the implication is it's not just not realizing, but deliberately not realizing. It's a kind of willful refusal to admit the obvious. Not realizing, willfully not realizing. And so he goes on to speak about your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. That's what it is. It's contempt for God's grace, a stubborn refusal to admit something. To admit the very purpose of God's grace. That God's grace leads you towards repentance. Paul is addressing a situation where there is a toxic mix and the same toxic mix can be in the church today. These are people who grew up in a culture of legalism. They have now come into grace. When you leave one situation and come into another. You don't always get the whole story. You don't always change everything in your thinking. And so you can come out of legalism into grace and then you end up with this mix. Coming into grace with a legalistic mindset. And what happens then, coming out of legalism, legalism can lead to pride, Legalism can lead to just trying to obey the rules and feeling you've done quite well. Paul himself had been there. He said, concerning legalistic righteousness, blameless. He was pretty proud of his achievements. Jesus speaks about this Pharisee who goes to the temple and says, I thank you, God, I'm not like other men, not like this this publican. It can lead to pride. Bring that kind of mindset into grace... And what do you end up with? You end up with pride and unconcern. I reckon I'm okay, but God loves me anyway. That's a dangerous place to be. I think I'm okay, but hey, once saved, always saved. It's grace. God loves me anyway. That's a dangerous place. And Paul is addressing that. Do you show contempt 
for the riches of his kindness. And furthermore, God apparently is lending support to that mindset. Now, why do I say that? Dangerous thing to say, but you see, it looks like God is unconcerned about bad behavior. Because what is God like? Kind, tolerant, patient. And the danger is that one can conclude that God is not concerned about my sin. God is not concerned about the things that I do wrong. Because look, he doesn't do anything about it. His patience and tolerance can be misread as indifference. He's not bothered. And so it's very popular to view God like that. There was a book that was uh, very popular last year, phenomenally popular last year. I'm not even going to mention its title because I don't want to advertise it. But in that book, God is represented as being so much less uptight about things than Christians typically have presented him. He's not uptight about the little things we do wrong. Okay, our language isn't good and we, get, you know, we do this and we do that. But basically... He's very prone to just laugh indulgently and give you a hug. That's God. Christianity has misrepresented him, the book is suggesting. The church is misrepresenting him. He just says, oh, come on, give you, a, give you a hug. People like a God like that. This says that is treating God with contempt. Attractive view of God? No, it's a contemptuous view of God. Do you... Show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience by thinking God doesn't care. God, God is just indifferent to what I do. He's not really bothered. Those of you who are parents, you're bringing up children. I hope you never do this, but sometimes parents will say to their children, if you do that once more, you're going to get punished. Child does it once more. And what does the parent say? I told you not to do that. If you do that once more, you know, the threat of punishment that never happens. Children then grow up to actually despise parental discipline because it doesn't happen. And children grow up then to be pretty self-willed, undisciplined, and a total pain to everyone. Now, where, where punishment doesn't happen, people think, who cares? I'm not bothered. There is a danger of misreading the grace of God as if he is that sort of indulgent parent. So it doesn't matter. We can get away with it. There's, we, we glibly lift verses out of context, misquoting them because we're giving them the wrong meaning. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We quote. We could then come up with the slick little thing, once saved, always saved. We're all right. God doesn't care. He's just going, he laughs indulgently about this stuff. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? I heard someone once telling the story that before he was saved, 
just did not believe in God. And he, some friends were talking to him. They're out in the countryside somewhere. Friends talking with him about God. He said, if there's a God, let him strike me down with lightning. Suddenly, <laughs> lightning struck the tree next to him. He just said, missed. And continued not to believe. I would say, <laughs> showing contempt for God's kindness. God could have hit him, but didn't. <sighs> Who cares? People think, get away with it. Who cares? God's not bothered. I'm not bothered. The result is that we can have an emphasis on grace. And we talk about grace. We sing about grace. But there can be a strange lack of passionate worship and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because really... We haven't seen how bad we are. We haven't understood how God views that. And we haven't understood the sheer riches of his mercy. We just think, who cares? Unless we're careful, again, speaking to parents, unless we're careful raising children in that climate of this toxic mix of legalism and grace, raising children in that climate, they come through to be switched off teenagers. Uh, whatever. Who cares? And so we, some of us may be a worshipping passionately. They'll just be around thinking, I don't see the point. What's it all about? Contempt. Contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance and patience. So what is the result that God is looking for? What is a right understanding of God's amazing grace. Is grace niceness? Is it weakness on God's part? Just great acceptance, permissiveness? Loves us anyway? Not realizing or willfully not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance. God's mercy is intended to melt our hearts, to melt our stubbornness, and to lead us to repentance. Paul's not the only one who says that. In Peter, right in his second letter, 2 Peter 3, verse 9, says, The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. When God holds off judgment, it's not that he's slow. He's being patient because he wants people to come to repentance. The kindness of God leads us towards repentance. Mercy is intended to change our hearts. That's an interesting fact that Paul rarely uses this word, repentance. You find it many places in the New Testament, but Paul himself doesn't seem to have been particularly fond of the word. It's not that he's not fond of the concept, but he doesn't use the word. And there, there are various theories as to why he rarely uses the word. This is one of the few times that he mentions repentance. And one theory is that he was aware that the word got used in a very heavy kind of way, a very legalistic kind of way, a very sort of condemnatory way. And he doesn't want to associate with any of that. Because he believes in the grace of God. So he doesn't want to hit people with the hammer. You've got to repent. 
And because people use the word like that, maybe that's why Paul tends not to use it. Paul tends to consistently use the word faith. Which repentance and faith go together, but faith is saying, I believe God. And faith also says, I believe what God says about me. I believe the truth about me as God sees it. And so believing God includes repentance, because repentance is when we change our mind and we change our behavior to fit in with what God says and to do it God's way. Faith, then, is a change of belief. It's a change of attitude that leads to a change of behavior. God is very concerned with our hearts. God is concerned with our behavior, but is concerned with our hearts. And faith is what's in your heart. Do you believe God? Do you believe what God says about you? Do I believe what God says about me? God's desire is that we should love him and love him with our whole heart and that then obedience comes out of that love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. God's kindness is meant to touch your heart. It's meant to change your heart so that it leads to a change of life. Change of attitude that leads to a change of behavior. Again, since I've mentioned parents, that book that uh, a number of read, I know, about shepherding a child's heart is so good. And it is so good at addressing this issue that we don't just give our children rules, we shepherd their hearts. We want to get the attitude. We want to see why. We just give them rules without them seeing it. They won't get our values. They'll just know our standards. We want children to get values. It's in their heart. God wants it in our heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then the rest comes out of that. So God wants us not to have contempt for grace, but for grace to change us. How does that happen? I wonder how many of you watch The Apprentice. Any of you watch The Apprentice? Reasonable show of hands, yeah, or have watched it. Imagine, you know what happens in The Apprentice, a task is set, then they come to the boardroom, and in the boardroom... There's Nick and there's Margaret, either side of Sir Alan. And they discover how badly they've done. And they don't know how they've done. And then the horrible uh, truth is revealed and you see their jaw drop. You almost hear their brains working. How do I get myself out of this fix? Imagine yourself in that situation, only it's not Sir Alan... It's God. And the task was life. And there we are in the boardroom. See, it says here, in verse 2, God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. In The Apprentice, when they get into the boardroom, they discover the truth. Can't argue about it anymore. That's the truth. It's too late to go back. They can't have another chance. This is the truth. And they've got to face the truth. 
When we come before God, we have to face the truth. And there we are in the boardroom. And suddenly, we realize the truth. We realize, we don't need to be told, but we know. You know, they say a drowning man has their life flash before them. You're there before God, and you, you just know. And you know how you end up with the three there? Tonight, in the final, it's the two. And Sir Alan addresses them each, and you know the last one he addresses, he's going to say, you're fired. And here we are before God. We know the truth. And to our horror, he homes in on us. We just see it all. Everything we've done, all those things we thought, doesn't matter, suddenly it matters. This is the moment of truth. And the finger points, and your mind is full of all this stuff. It's too late. If I have my time again, it's too late. I know I've done all of this. The finger points, and he says, you're saved. Shock. You know the truth. And he says, you're saved. Can't take it in. You're speechless. How can that be? That's our position. The wonderful, atoning death of Jesus changes everything. We should hear God say, you're fired. And he says, you're saved. You're saved. It melts your heart, you see. Changes your heart. You can't just say, oh, that's good. Oh, God. Saved? Jesus crucified for me. Jesus suffering in my place, identifying with my miserable failure, all my stubborn rebellion to obey God, suffered for that. I'm saved forever. I haven't just got a job with a six-figure salary. I've got eternal life. Saved. It changes your heart. His kindness, the wealth of God's kindness, leads you to repentance. You don't think, oh, I better start changing my behavior. You will change your behavior. You, You believe the atoning death of Jesus, and you love the atoning death of Jesus. He died in my place. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted as a child of God because of Jesus. And it's mercy, sheer wealth of mercy, the riches of his kindness for me. Everything changes from that moment. You you love the grace of God. And you believe the grace of God, that that grace is available now to change my life, that he's not only forgiven me, but he's given me power now to, to, to live differently. That's the riches of his grace. Not as forgiving, but the supply of grace, continually, day by day, so that now I can be different. And there is a second chance. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The riches, it's not, oh, well, I can live, you know, God loves me anyway, who cares, he's not bothered. Oh, God does bother. God cares so much, sin must be punished, but he's punished it, not in me, but in Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. 
Grace leads towards repentance. We must be different. We must, we must, be, must care about our behavior now. Because we're just so grateful. Not, you know, we fear God. Of course we fear God. But, oh God, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's true. Wonderful, wonderful grace. Now, Paul here is identifying a tragic situation. He's writing to saints, to all in Rome, loved by God, called to be saints. He's writing to saints, and he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? Saints, casual about grace. Saints viewing it with contempt. Tragic. The contempt of believing grace and yet not believing God. Believing it will all be all right anyway. But not believing God. Holy God. It's contempt. Contempt of being unsoftened and unbroken before our amazing Heavenly Father. See, God's concerned about the heart. Everything flows out of that. The things that we do come out of your heart. Now, what's in our heart? Have we seen truth? That God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. It's not just that he does it right. It's based on truth. And the truth about us is not good. What, not one of us. We've all got a different history, but for not one of us is the truth good. And to come before God just as we are, it, it's unthinkable. God has passed judgment. God has condemned his son. He's forgiven us. If we see the truth, then it breaks your heart melts your heart. You can't just be an intellectual Christian. You can't just have higher standards for other people, but somehow strangely understanding about yourself. You say, oh God, God's had mercy on me. I can't stop loving him. I can't, I can't stop praising him. Whatever circumstances, whether God delivers the goods that I you think what I'm praying for, whether God doesn't answer my prayer, oh God, you saved me. Doesn't it change your heart? Doesn't it give you a whole new perspective? Wonderful, wonderful mercy. Paul, his track record, I guess, is worse than anyone here. I don't know everyone here. But his track record, it's safe to say, is going to be worse than anyone else here. He had had people killed. He had done terrible things. And he's found mercy. That's the wonderful grace of God. But it melts you. It doesn't just say, I'm off the hook. No, it changes you. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? To not realize it means a stubborn refusal. But hey, let's not stubbornly refuse to see it. Let's say, oh God, you saved me. 
I value your grace, Lord, more than anything. And I'm going to hold on to that grace and use it to live how you want me to. Whatever that means. I'm not looking for anything apart from, Lord, I just want to, I want to please you. Because, Lord, you've shown wonderful, wonderful mercy 